with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone. This is Rod Kolick, New England's own Van Helsing. Sink. Yep, that's it. From uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio. And uh, the other day I was uh, going through the uh, the stats and stuff for the, the show, the Ghost Chronicles Radio show, and I soon realized that we have every year, or well, last year, uh, people either downloaded, watched, listened to, uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio through the various uh, formats and to a tune of a million people. So uh, I want to thank you all for doing that for us. And the sad part about it was, though, you know, I don't know very many of you. And I'd like to learn more about you. And uh, actually, I was talking to Jeff Belanger, and he came up with an idea that he uses for his uh, podcast and suggested it for me. So today we have launched uh, our own uh, page where you can uh, join, and it is an exclusive club, by the way, and uh, you'll get exclusive information. Uh, for instance, let's see what what. We offer you on this exclusive club. It includes a patron-only Facebook group, a shout-out for every new subscriber, and uh, access to bonus content that you cannot get anywhere else, only if you're a subscriber, and a special never-released Ghost Chronicles, the magazine, uh, for your one-year anniversary. Uh, So there you go. Plus, there'll be more bonus content, including chats with me and... uh, free uh, workshops so uh, stay tuned to the ghost chronicles facebook page and the website and other places and you'll find out more information so we're launching that today and keep in mind out for the future but today we have a show so let's get into our show with me all the way from the penthouse is <laughs> the blonde bombshell herself and kerrigan well hello wow that's exciting isn't that That's a million exciting people? Exciting news. A million downloads, watches, views, or whatever That's you want to call it. Crazy. Yeah, of all wow. the Ghost Chronicles. Yeah, it's, wow, it's, thanks, it's, everybody. Yeah, that's what I say. So, we have a really, really cool show today, and I'm really excited about it because we have two guys. Uh, one we've known for many, many years, and, and Kyle Johnson, and the other I met last year at Austin State. Paracon, and he is James, and I'll never say his last word, uh, so let's just call him James. Anyways, guys, you there? What is it? Yes, we're here. Thank you for having us on tonight. Oh, thank you. How do you say your last name, James? Uh, it's uh, James Anito. Yeah, I knew that. Just it's not that hard, Ron. <laughs> Everything's hard for me, Anne. Obviously. Exactly. Right. Remember, I'm old. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. true. Yeah, most, most people say Antonio or uh, right. something, something totally off. So I, I appreciate you not trying. <laughs> yeah, well, if I did, I would only butcher it. I promise you that. It's all right. I'm used to it. Johnson, I can handle. Uh, Johnson is 
Ubiquitous. It's out there. At least I didn't call him Keith, so there's a, there's call a break. Call Keith, Keith and <laughs> There you go. You don't go. have Keith on, do you? We don't need him tonight. <laughs> have him some other time. <laughs> so anyway, anyways, uh, how the heck did – well, first of all, what's the name of your – the two of you together, which I won't even try. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, Duo Demonology. So basically, Demonology is – uh, the precursor of the word demonology, uh, usually associated with King James, of course, in his book, Demonology. Um, and then basically duo is Latin for two. Um, so we we wanted to, in some format, uh, bring some of um, where demonology started off as and kind of bring it to the forefront of, a sci- uh, of science and um, many different spectrums involved with it. Um, Carl can talk about as well. You know, I, I, I was the brainchild of it, but in reality, it couldn't really have happened without Carl's participation. And of course, uh, man, you know, I don't, you know, like to stroke people's ego or, or idolize people, really. But idolize, you can idolize. Don't roll against it. But Carl, you know, Carl has 47 years' experience. He's, you know, to me, he is somebody that deserves respect and uh, has seen a lot of things. So, you know, Duo Demonology was that idea of bringing uh, the new and not necessarily say in a bad way, the old, and mix it together and um, kind of lead demonology to where people can understand it and we try to take the misconceptions as out as best as possible. That's Excellent. so do demonology is our group. Cal Cal may have more experience, but uh, you have the biggest uh, self portrait. Uh, I remember that photograph of you at the uh Paris I know party. what he means. I know what he means. Life size, yeah. Hey, life size. <laughs> I, I, people make front definitely but you know in the standpoint of it is as I have a career, I make no money doing any of this kind of stuff. Um, a lot of people uh, try to and attempt to, and but you know, in the same token, people uh, people are going to reach out, reach out towards the right people. Sometimes you're going to have to put yourself on the billboard, um, and you know, some people will disagree with that, but I don't do it for the wrong reason. It's not for greed or anything like that. So, you know, there, you have judge. to kind of promote yourself, and if you don't promote yourself, who, how are you going to get your yourself out there to teach the people that are misconceived and don't know what the hell they're talking about? I don't judge. Right. Judge not, or you, you be judged. So yeah. I, I clear that out. Anyways, uh, how did you two hitch up together? Yeah. Yeah, how, how do we get together? How do we get together? Well, James and I have known each other for a decade now, and we were members of the same team going back those 10 years. Even then, we were on the periphery of each other when I was involved in a what was adjudicated to be a demonic case in Orange, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And James was associated with that case, but wasn't actively involved in the investigation at that time. So we knew of each other. We were introduced through a mutual friend, Andre, mm-hmm. and uh, then James became a member of the group with which I uh, had membership. They became our tech manager. So we worked. We had a good association. Then we just kind of, as I moved around and he moved around, we didn't exactly lose touch, but we weren't on the same team for a while. And all of a sudden, I would hear James on the radio sometimes. I said, I haven't seen that guy in two years. You know, this is ridiculous. And, you know, I helped him with a lecture. I made a guest appearance. And, and we did a few investigations together. And then, you know, kind of in Stacy's for some years. And then I, I found out he was going to be at Ocean State Paracon in 2018, July 2018. Mm-hmm. And we started talking again. 
Then the following year, we talked more and we crystallized duodemonology. James's brainchild, James came up with that title and I said, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't improve on that. I like that title, duodemonology, it has a ring to it. So that's in a nutshell how we formed this organization. It's a research unit. We lecture, we teach, but it is not just a, it's not just an academic uh, adventure. We are applied demonologists. We're active in the field, so we will address cases that are brought to our attention. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So you, you do, you still do that. You go in and, and uh, if someone's having experiences, what they believe to be demons. I mean, yeah, correct. Yes, we do. We uh, we still actively take on cases. Uh, you know, I am of course uh, a deacon with the Catholic Church, uh, more specifically the United States Old Catholic Church, um, but. Uh, I, I still have to go through proper procedures and channels and, and deal with the Council of Bishops when I deal with cases. But yeah, usually Carl and I um, do work on cases still together yes, separately. Um, and so yeah, we still take on cases and are doing so mostly probably every every so every day or so we get an email. We, from we consult a lot. People yeah. do get because they're usually in um, distant states. Yeah, they're usually in the Midwest or you know in yeah. Florida. I get Pensacola, yeah. Florida, you right. know, or my date in Ohio and uh, Timbuktu. You know, they're not yeah. they're not where we can jump in our van and yeah. go with the equipment like they see on television. But people have seen that. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait. Well, we want to go places. Wait, you know? wait a minute. You got, a, you got a big white van with a big red cross on it or, or right. a black, black cross on it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'd like a green flash or siren, I would. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, anyway, anyway the, the intriguing thing, I, first of all, I love the name. I really do, the, especially uh, now that you explained it. And, uh, it's I find that, Yeah, I think it's I, good. Yeah, being an, old, being an old altar boy, yeah, I had to learn the mass in Latin, so I, I appreciate Latin. <laughs> well, we could call call you and consult you. Listen, I'm stuck on some of those Latin terms. Can you please just give me a hand, Ron? Yeah, <laughs> I got my phone on speaker. Can you just intone a, a prayer in Latin? <laughs> I'm, I'm e equally inept in every language, so that's ah. Ah, Good to know. Perfect. Perfect. The, uh, so... Uh, James, I mean, you, you, how do, what is your history? How do, how, growing up, I mean, is this something you've always were interested in? Uh, you know, because we know, we know a lot about uh, Kyle's story because he's been on the show before and uh, he's been a public figure for many, many years. But mm -hmm. James, I, I'm not totally familiar with you because could you give us a little bit about, you know, your life growing up and how you got involved in this and everything else? Yeah, so I think I, most of the time I hear people that have dealt with paranormal experience, either uh, UFO, Bigfoot, cryptid, uh, or ghostly or demonic or some sort of formula of that nature. But, you know, my my upbringing to this field is more so because of uh, personal trauma. Um, you know, I, I tell the story very loosely, uh, not to get into much detail, but when I was four years old, um, you know, somebody dropped me off in front of front of the courthouse and left me there. Uh, you can that was. But so I you know, I have very personal trauma that led me to um, kind of questioning God. You know, I was baptized Roman Catholic and then adopted by my grandparents who were um, Lutherans and they were church churchgoers every Sunday. So, you know, growing up, even at a young age when I could understand literature uh, being being read to um, and what God was and how God is supposed to be omnipotent, I mean, the benevolent, I started questioning at a young age and going to the library and saying, 
it, why is there a God? So my paranormal structure came more so from uh, wanting to disprove or prove God at a young age, getting into Darwinism, uh, getting into different uh, uh, theories on paranormal, uh, the mind, how the ne neurology, um, all these different things that could concept to why God could exist. Um, even getting to dualism and um, theodicies and all these different philosophers that have come. Uh, interesting. I was always in library, always researching. Um, I was kind of, I was a troubled kid as well, getting in trouble. So when I get in trouble, um, you know, I put my nose in a book or learn something or do something. So um, really what kind of led me to the paranormal would be that uh, eventually um, you hear, of course, I loved Scooby-Doo. I loved... Uh, unsolved mysteries. I loved these shows uh, when I was a kid, and and all these had uh, an aspect to do with ha a haunting. You know, Charles Dickens, uh, one of the most famed writers of our lifetime, uh, was a paranormal investigator. He wrote on haunted houses, um, so uh, it, it intrigued me. And something always comes from something, so it really led me to understand. Okay, maybe if I could. And of course, I was young. I I don't think I'll ever find that answer out, but you never know, right? You can say never is never, but yeah. sometimes you stumble across something. But you know, my my goal was to see if uh, if I could prove if spirits existed or demons or angels, um, maybe it could come closer to understand what God is. So that's really what led me to the paranormal. Like I was when I was 14 years old, I started with a bunch of friends. Um, Probably you guys know it uh, in uh, Quidnesset Memorial Cemetery in North Kingstown, Rhode Island. Um, yes. Me and my friends would go there a bunch of times uh, at 14 years old, um, going what we would call investigating or uh, more so in, uh, kind of exploring, um, being stupid. You know, we had a tape recorder, we had uh, ex you know film cameras back then, uh, flashlights. So you know, we tried to do what we could do, but you know, it really intrigued me. So we started trying to, you know purposely communicate with something um it wasn't you know it was a hobby back then more so than it is now of course but um that hobby also had um in, uh, some intrigue intriguing aspects to it it wasn't just for fun it was for an answer for me personally so that's really what led me to the paranormal um i i've been involved for 15 years now uh, with some sort of structure um you know, I could say that, you know, a lot of people could scoff, scoff at that, but in the same token, I really, since a young age, have been um, very thoroughly interested in this and have dug deep, and I've learned a lot and done a lot, so. Mm -hmm. So what called you, uh, what called you to become a deacon? Uh, I mean, did you go to seminary, or did you just go the deacon route, or how, how did that come about? So I was, uh, before I was uh, part of the United States Hill Catholic Church, um, I was uh, a deliverance minister, or more specifically, of course, in the general aspect, uh, ordained minister with the Church of Christ. Um, and I did get, go through a small uh, seminary program through that to become ordained. Um, so, but I have a lot of relationships with people in the paranormal field, um, you know, some call them that would themselves call exorcists or um, fellow demonologists like somebody like Ralph Sargent or Carla Johnson, yes. Pete Johnson, people that work with, um, you know, specific uh, like-minded people. And um, I was kind of approached by uh, the United States Old Catholic Church, uh, a man named Bishop Long. Um, some people love him, some people hate him, teach them. <laughs> 
But I was approached by Bishop Long, and uh, they offered me free seminary, um, where Roman Catholic seminary, and of course I I had classes, I took quizzes, I I had to do um, lectures, and I had to do homilies, I had to do a bunch of different things. You know, I'm still in seminary to this day, um, mm-hmm. but I I joined seminary free because of I wanted to understand Catholicism better. I always had. Um, I, I I really do respect the liturgy of the Eucharist um, and liturgy of the Word very much so, and I wanted to understand Catholicism better um, um, because I really had disdain for um, Catholicism in general, more so the Roman Catholic Church. But I had disdain for it for so long, especially being involved with uh, being a mediator uh, or adjudicator uh, in such cases and determining if it is you know maybe a psychological ailment or it is truly, in fact, maybe something demonic or something that we can't explain by science and presenting it to the church and then stalling on it and taking for so long. So there was a lot of questions I had, of course, in the, the theo- theological aspect as well. Um, so when they approached me, I, I didn't say no. I, uh, you know, It was basically, oh, yes, I'll do it. So I went through uh, two years of rigorous seminary, uh, very very fast courses. So, uh, like, let's say three months of, uh, you know, semester was one month, uh, basically of semester for two years straight. So for a month, I had like three or four classes that I'd usually have to get done in three months. I would do it. So it was accelerated. Um, I wanted an accelerated program because I know a lot about the spectrums of theology and, um, I wanted to test myself. And, um, two years in, I was able to be elevated to the diaconate and, um, I am in limbo right now. I am a transitional deacon. I am supposed to become a priest one day. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we had um, some structure changes in our church because we are not Roman Catholic. So we are more organized within ourselves. But mm-hmm. um, we had, you know, our seminary just started back up again, especially with Corona. It really right. fits into right. the loop. So, yeah, I, I restarted the seminary recently, and I'm actually also teaching seminarians as well um, because I'm a deacon, so I'm teaching seminarians as well uh, within their seminary. So I'm a very busy man within that. But, yeah, I, I will are. be updated to a priest one day. I just don't know when. I'm no rush for that. Uh, you know, it's not for the wrong reason. It's uh, my faith's very powerful to me now. Um, I still have not proof if God existed uh, in the way maybe my childhood mind wanted, but— my faith has been the strongest it's ever been, and I have no doubt ever, and will never. Well, so, you'll, um, you'll, prob- you'll know when it's in your heart. If it's not in your heart that you really, you know, yeah. this is the time, then then yeah. it isn't. It's as simple as that. Uh, I always say that, that God doesn't speak to our brain. It's, he speaks to our heart. Most definitely. Agape. Now, did I cut you off, Carl? No, he was just uh, reiterating what James was saying about in the Grecian, you know, erudite philosophy, uh, the three types of love are delineated as eros, which is physical love, and uh, you know, man and woman, whatever. And uh, there's uh, phileo love, which is brotherly, you know, like a friendship. Mm-hmm. And there is agape love, which is the universal love. It's a godlike love because it is... Uh, it's unconditional. Right. When when one loves as God loves, which is very difficult to achieve consistently, agape love is an all-encompassing love, like for a parent of a child, it would be agape. So when he said agape, that's what I pick up on. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I never remember that. <laughs> I think you knew it anyway. Yeah, but not the names. <laughs> See, that's my problem. I can never remember names. But I, I really want to ask you guys about uh, the TV nowadays, and you know, and, and especially Kyle, because Kyle was there at the beginning when Ghost Hunters were out, and they were out, and they were investigating, and you know, they went in basically to see if a house was haunted or not, and they would declare that. And a lot of times in the early shows, they, they would say there wasn't no haunting, but mm-hmm. ever since those early shows, it's it's turned like, okay, every place is, and I'm not talking about just Ghost Hunters, I'm talking shows in general, uh, every house is haunted that they're in, and then not, it be, that came not good enough. Every house has got demons in it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, demons, demons got their own. They went into vogue. Yeah, yeah. all over the world now. Is that? What are your thoughts on that? Is is that really true, or are we seeing a surge of demons in the world, or or what? What's your thoughts on it? I, that would be an interesting premise. I wish I could say, well, Ron, I think the gates of hell are open wide and they're all... <laughs> they're flowing in. why we have COVID and this is what... <laughs> is bringing COVID to us. No, but I think it's uh, because they are showcased. Um, when people say, when you hear demon on the television, you stop slicing your you know, meatloaf and your <laughs> And I think it, it's an attention grabber and I think it gets more attention than Ghost, which... Have, you know, been exposed for years, and then on television. Now, when you say demon, people sit up and take notice because, oh no, we're gonna. This is the Exorcist. We gotta watch this. I think it's an attention grabber. I think that's why they get more, you know, more airtime. You might say. And I think it's as simple as that. And and and, and for the same spectrum, this has to deal with TV, but not television as well. But in a lot of a lot of those cases. Someone that's dealing with a psychological ailment is easier to reflect upon something that being demonic as well than it being a spirit. So um, those cases are happening. You know, television does tend to exploit people, and sometimes the exploitation is there. So if one of these shows ran into a, a real demon, <laughs> could, would they would they be able equipped? To handle it, do you think, in in your minds? Well, I thought you were going to ask, would they call us? Odds are against it. <laughs> it's this competitive factor. Um well, I don't believe they would, no. And it depends on the personnel. I don't mean to generalize so much, but I don't think most of these teams, as they are shown on television, I don't think they I don't think they would be normally equipped to handle mm. the intricacies of such a case, the psychological ramifications, the background work that has to be done, the thorough assessment. Mm. No, I, I don't believe so in most cases. They couldn't trust me, could be wrong, but in most cases, no. I would say absolutely not. Yeah, it's, it's, Or probably, most probably not. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. I think it's to the ability to is because... You know, Carl and I, and a fellow demonologist that I, you know, I truly respect as well, um, come from a from a different way. You know, we are of the faith mostly, yeah. usually, but we also look at it in the, the scientific method, where we understand neuro, neuroscience exists, we understand psychology exists. So, um, they, 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 we understand that we we work with these specialists, these individuals that are doctors, master degrees, psychoanalysts, psychotherapists. So we work with these people and maybe somebody from the television wouldn't. So we approach it from different angles. So I, I think they'd definitely be ill-equipped to, to handle such things, yes. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're generalizing. There are exceptions, but I am talking generally. Yeah, generally would, too. Would not be from what I've seen represented on television. Okay. The uh, the other thing you see is you you have all this internet now, which has all kinds of information now. Oh yes. People are running around burning sage, or uh, you know, they're putting salt on their doors, and uh, uh, this is keeping demons away. And well, it'll certainly keep the rats away. (laughs) Maybe the ants too. I don't know. But cross that. Is is that misinformation? I mean, yeah, are we? Is that how you determine whether it's, I guess, well, are they really facing a demon or, or what? I, I believe, Ron, I believe it's a subjective approach. If the person, the subject, or, you know, the person laying down these materials, you know, tracing Casper over the wall and, you know, like using holy chalk. And uh, yep. I think it's, uh, yeah, it can be effective if the person doing it has a conviction that it's going to work. Yeah, it's psychosomatic. Yeah, yeah it's psychosomatic, simpatico. If they mm-hmm. believe it's going to work, it probably will be effective. I don't think it is on its own. Yeah. Somebody, even if you know it's not the person who you know initially put that stuff up, and then an- another resident comes into this basement, or whatever sees these things chalked there, these marks, if they accept that it's going to ward an mm-hmm. evil influence, ward, keep it away, then I believe it's going to be effective. But it, yeah. there has to be some level of belief, some some level of conviction that it's. Yeah, potent. I, I agree with that. You know, to um, in the same stance, look at exorcism. Um, exorcism, even though I do believe in some form of transference uh, within within the capabilities of that and something working for you, still exorcism is a psychotherapy. Um, the person still has to believe that it's going to work for uh, it to work. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, performed exorcisms and was successfully able to perform these and for people to overcome their ailments so it shows me that yes it could work but they also have to know it's not magic either unfortunately i have to exercise the commercials right now so okay. uh, you're listening to ghost Chronicles next generation with ann and ron uh right here on toji night and pararex radio brought to you by circles of wisdom 386 merrimack street in north in in, in ooh, Bethune, massachusetts and the gallant <laughs> family law group in north andover massachusetts so i'm going to screw that up they did all, all right. right we'll be right back after the following messages <laughs> you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about, then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. 
The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann. And a special guest this evening, the duo demonology team of Carl Johnson and James Anito. Yes. Good day. Nice. Got my name. There you go. Yes. One of us can pronounce it. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Yeah, carry on. Anyways, uh, I've been lucky enough to... um, go on a couple of exorcisms with the Catholic Church. But even within the Catholic Church, there are basically two groups of exorcists. One is the the one by the Vatican, and then the Franciscans, as I found out, had their own uh, exorcists as well. Uh, I wonder if you were aware of that and what your thoughts were about that. Um, So there are different... Yes. So, like, even though... The whole Catholic Church is not in communion. Well, we are in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. We do have exorcists, but also within the Roman Catholic Church, there are different sects like the Franciscans um, that have exorcists. Um, a fa- one, of the, one of the most known and has written, uh, written, written, written many books. <laughs> yeah, Roman, yeah. Written Talks many like books uh, and is a PhD in psychology. Uh, Father Chad Ripperger, um, I, I forgot uh, what he's a part of off the top of my head, but he is uh, one of the leading exorcists of the Roman Catholic Church. So, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that, it, you know, they all come from different backgrounds. Um, and... It's, you know, the, the church does um, do demonology courses, of course, within the Vatican um, mm-hmm. for people. But, you know, there is different. There, there are different. There's two different ways of thinking for exorcists, usually more, more so. But they all have different opinions. Um, and they're not all the same within the, the theological sense either. You know, everybody thinks that um, each priest necessarily believe in the same thing but that's not the case theology is very different different within the study you know you know look at saint thomas aquinas you know it's scholasticism you know there's people that still believe in that even though they've uh, adapted from that in some form or fashion so um each priest had different beliefs uh but you know they still have the same concept with the eucharist it is and um why we do what we do and you know we do it for the people, not for ourselves, technically. So, um, yeah, there's, there's different beliefs. You know, some will, you know, an exorcist will say something is uh, of possession, of demonic possession, that maybe another exorcist won't. Maybe, like, a perfect example, even though he was an exorcist, look at the, the movie The Exorcist. Yeah, uh, yeah. He lost his faith. You know, he was a clinical uh, so psychologist, and you know, he looked at it at, at, in a different way than, of course, the exorcist himself did. So that's that's a prime example in you know pop culture, which it, it's not necessarily against reality because, in some form or fashion, that does happen. 
The other thing I I'm sorry. Father Karras, Father, the the um, primary character in The Exorcist, you know, is actually the you know the subject of the novel, The Exorcist, the protagonist, let's say, is Father Damien Karras. He's a Jesuit priest who is also trained in clinical psychology. He's a psychiatrist and psychologist. And uh, it's a story of reclamation because it's how he has lost his faith, his religious faith, and he is through circumstance brought back to the faith, through severe circumstance. The exorcist, you know, the titular uh, figure in the book, is Father Lancaster Marin, and he's the one who comes uh, to perform the actual exorcism, and he has a, a final showdown with the demon that he has previously encountered with Pazuzu. I hope I'm not giving too much away for those who haven't seen the exorcism. <laughs> no, I don't want to tell you the ending, but ah, story really? of reclamation. <laughs> and you know, James and I watched that together two months ago here. <laughs> you know, that is still an effective film. It is. That was a good movie. It was movie. released in the early, uh, very end of 1973 and then went yep. to the major theaters in 1974. And it still shivers me timbers. Because <laughs> it's so well acted. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. That's what brings yeah. it to life. The other, the other interesting thing is, is that most people think, okay, uh, if if there are demons, it's it's automatically a possession, but there are there are other forms of uh, demonic intervention, like demonic obsession and and uh, uh, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like I can't think of anything right well, now. Well, oppression and possession are as individual and unique as are the individuals. Exactly. Of course, you know, look, you're dealing with a unique psychology in each case, a unique human being. And so you can't predicate it on any previous case, you know, the human mind. Uh, but people like to think in terms of definites, you know, like uh, it's black and white, person's possessed or not. Mm. When that may be something that is a process that goes on for years, it may take months and years to expiate that influence, you know, it's just a strange thing. But you can't, you know, you can go by guidelines and other people's experiences, but until you get right onto it, you know, you don't know exactly what you're dealing with. That's why it's uh, unsettling, maybe even frightening, because there's that pervasive element of the unexpected. You don't know what you're going to hear or see next. Yeah. That's what's scary about demonic intervention, you know, intervention in a demonic case. You know, you're only as good as your last demonic case, really. Yeah. You know, you know that's, that's what, you know, makes me a little apprehensive, sometimes very apprehensive about it. You know, but yeah. uh, like in the movie The Exorcist, the, the experienced exorcist, Father Lancaster Marin, who has performed an exorcism before, he comes in, he's very definite, like like Father Karras, Damien Karras, the younger priest, he says, I think it might be helpful if I give you a little background on the different personalities that Reagan has manifested. So far, I seen, there seem to be three. And the older priest, Father Marin, cuts them off and says, there is only one. You know, there's just one demon. There's only one. And that was majestic, that, that scene and that dialogue. Yeah. You know? But it's, it's not always that easy. No, yes. Yeah, I wish it were. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> not. So it's really, it's it's not always easy to recognize whether you're dealing with a just a demon or a negative spirit. Yeah, unfor unfortunately, there are very, there are a lot of similarities, but unfortunately when uh when it comes to the demonic realm even in the infestation aspect uh there tends to be or especially if let's say it is in the oppression or possession stages 
usually most of the time that person uh, has some sort of trauma that has influenced the situation because people tend to forget if, if demons do in fact exist and we go by the bylaws of one soul can only inhabit the body at a time, mm -hmm. basically in that format is the only way a demonic entity can, can come in is if it breaks your free will and you allow it through invitation to enter you. And people tend to forget that. It doesn't happen without that possibility. Um, and any true exorcist will tell you that. Any demonologist will truly tell you that. It is an invitation. It could be knowingly doing it or just saying, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Um, that is enough of an invitation to say that you're giving up and you break your free will. So people tend to forget that. So there's always trauma. There's always something this uh, demonic entity, which is very parasitical. Something um, that it targets, um, and usually it is that person's trauma. Um, if it is sexually, physically, uh, mentally, uh, however that trauma came forth, it'll play off those fears. And I really like to wait, uh, even though there are different levels, the movie It and how Pennywise played off the fears of these kids. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's in reality of how a demonic entity does attack a person. So there is a lot to dissect. And sometimes that trauma it is not brought out um, right away. You know, it's it's into the back of their, their mind. They've, they've forgotten it, but it still, still torments them. And even though it might be just something psychological, there could be something that is there that is unseen and something evil that is manipulating this person. So that's what we have to dissect. We have to look at the natural and dissect that first. And that's hard to do because psychology is, like Carl says, one step up above a pseudoscience. It's it's still developing. There's still unknowns to it. A lot of unknowns. It's developed only so much in the past 50, 60 so years. Uh, it has developed though and has come more towards uh, understanding the mind and brain, but it's still developing. So you know, it's it's hard when, like Carl said, yeah. when you deal with the human mind. Yeah, right. like, there's so many variables involved. And there's the person's background, their influences, yeah. you know, in their life. And James brought up a good point about the evolution of demonology, if you will. You know, there are some basics that have not altered since the 17th century. But we've made such advances in that we can record, we can actually capture, you know, what are alleged to be spirit voices on audio recordings. We can photograph, we can film a person under the influence of what we think is demonic oppression or possession. We can document better. We have advances in psychological medicine. Oh, I think that's a, still a pretty primitive medical discipline. I, you know, it has a long way to go. But uh, you were basically dealing with the science. Uh, the belief in wicked spirits. And that's how I define, and James defines, demonology. Uh, it is a systematic study of the lore and cultural traditions of wicked spirits. It's as simple as that. <laughs> uh, not simple, but the definition in itself is pretty simple. Right. It's, it's interesting, I think. I don't, I don't know, like, a lot about what one goes through to become a priest, but I'm in, I'm intrigued by the thought of you actually have a class in exorcism, or you actually have a class in how to deal with demons. I mean, well, it, is that a lab? No. It's interesting to me. Well, so there's certain rituals, certain things that are done. Like there, there are seven sacraments within Catholicism, but 
such things like as holy water is a sacramental. So exorcism is technically for people that are listening that and I won't disagree that exorcisms aren't in other faiths. They are. I'll, you know, it's history. You can look it up. You know, I'm not going to say that's not the truth. Exorcisms exist in many different cultures and beliefs. But the, uh, the true Christian or the Catholicistic belief of it is that it is a sacramental. So technically anybody, uh, even myself as a deacon, even though, uh, I only are I am able to perform a certain amount of sacraments that than a priest can. But if if in a, in a real situation, if I knew the right, if I had it in front of me, if I did the procedures, I could do a deacon's mass and do an exorcism. Um, and the reason most time a priest is an exorcist is due to the fact that for an exorcism to be done, a mass is said, and a priest is the only one that can do technical do technical mass and give it as a blessing. I, I can do a deacon's mass, but I have to have um, the host already, uh, uh, the prayer already done right. over it. And I can do it that way, but you also need to get permission. There's permissions within the Catholic Church you have to get. It's not like I can just start both saying exorcisms over people, even do minor exorcisms over houses um, if I believe there's a demonic infestation. It's not that easy. Um, I, I, I do have to get assessment if somebody claims that they're possessed. You know, I do have to um, get involved with physicians and psychotherapists. Of course, if the client is willing to do so, if they're not willing to do so, I can't help them. Right. Because um, if they're not willing to get um, if they're not willing to help themselves, how am I going to be able to help them? It's like leading a horse to water and making the horse drink the water and they don't want to drink it. Mm -hmm. So it, it's hard to do that. You have to go through the steps because what happens if you are dealing with something natural and you have to check that off before you can even jump to the preternatural. So uh, we have a lot of steps to go through. So it's, you know, there, there are ways to learn exorcisms and of course there are people you can mentor under like my mentor is bishop long he's an exorcist he's been a priest for 20 years yeah very very well respected very well knowledgeable in my in my opinion uh so you know he's my mentor so one day i become a priest then but the thing is though i can't be willing to just become a priest to do exorcisms you have to want to become a priest to be a priest um, and then the exorcisms are there. It, it is a it is a form of ministry. So you know, I will I will do that ministry work because I believe that is what my calling is. Um, but it, it, it there's a long process. It's not like um, you can start just performing exorcisms far. Even even rabbi, even rabbis even rabbinical demonology and their forms of exorcisms or Hinduistic exorcisms uh, with the ferba and. These certain rituals, these are done by people that are very well trained in these rituals and uh, have been monks or priests or um, rabbis for many, many years. So it takes a lot of theological study. Um, if, if you really want to become an exorcist, there is a right way to do it, you know, but it's a long way. And it's a rigorous road, but that's why it's not meant for everybody, because if it was meant for everybody, everybody would be an exorcist. And right. Everybody would be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've got a book, an old book, uh, hardcover, that lists all the demons, and the thing is huge. 
and I remember watching Paranormal State and Ryan Bull and uh, how he couldn't say the name of the demons. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So what what are, what are your thoughts on that? Is is, is that uh, inviting in because you say the name? For, for instance, I was going to start, you know, like give five demons every show, but uh, that's all right. I'll, I'll hold up until I get your. I'll hold up till I get your opinion. You're, you're turning me into Barney Fife, you know, like Don. You're turning me into Don Knotts and the Ghost and Mr. Chicken, where he was losing. Well, now I'm not sure you really want to go there. You know, it's a very complex system, and you don't want to go into it unguarded. You want to know your demons. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> you don't say the, the, the demon's name, Andy. You just don't. <laughs> well, anyway, and I know the episode you're talking about. They started with, that with the debut of Paranormal State. Mm-hmm. I guess we can say that because it's, uh, you know, not on yeah. not even syndication. Now, supposedly Ryan Buell had this terrible secret that had been invested in him, this demon that was pursuing him throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And every episode would end with, end with him standing on a the top of a hill in a cemetery, you know, like to this day, he has not divulged what that secret is, you know. Mm-hmm. Yet they show it every episode. They kept flashing the name on the screen. And, rather <laughs> <we> flash- <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Chip Coffee had something to say about that. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they kept flashing on. The name was, I don't know, should I say the name, James? Do you give me this? The, the name was Bailey Al. And, you know, it's a demon oh, oh. I'm sorry. Did you mute me in time? We'll have to uh, that out. Well, for sure. Yeah. Just, just put it on and flash the name on if you can. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, no, but that was the premise of it. It was an interesting, you know, uh, approach. I'll say. But they said the name in every episode. You know, I mean, well, I mean, the the first episode they kept flashing, and I did in several success, successive episodes. You know, so that's what that was about. There is power in names, to be sure, but it depends on how they resonate when you say them. If you have a dread of them, you know, then they're going, they could be effective and, you know, uh, potent names to, mm. to utter. Well, for instance, they, uh, in some of the exorcisms, I know that they try to get the, the victim to say, yeah, the victim, I say, well, I'll say victim, that's good enough for now, uh, to, say, to say the large name. And that's how they, they uh, you know, they can tell if, if it's just trickery or, or what. Uh, is that just Hollywood again, or is that uh, um, Well, so... Are you so you're asking about receiving the name during an exorcism, correct? Actually, the the person who's supposedly possessed is one of the if they can clear the thing, it in other words, when they're possessed, they can't say that name. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily uh against reality, like so more so what we deal with is people claiming they got a name, you know, and unfortunately. It's kind of like reverse what you asked, but like that's what I can speak from is people saying they got names, like either through a voice recorder or through a ghost box or a spirit box. Oh, like science equipment. Yeah. So yeah. So, but the problem is, is that a demonic entity won't clearly come out and say its name. You know. So there, there is power within that in the form of a, a repelling action. Because once you know the enemy, the, the enemy is once defeated, if you can defeat the enemy. So um, 
usually most of the times when people come to us and say they got this name, it's, you know, usually we get a red flag right there because it's not so willy nilly. Um, they, I always joke and people always make fun of me like I'm, you know, I'm being childish with it, but I like to call them ninjas. You know, they lurk in the shadows and they'll strike <laughs> when they want to, but that's the truth. Uh, you know, they don't, the theatrics is, is more so Hollywood. Yeah, there, there are such things as bilocation and levitation that does occur in some cases, um, and people have experienced it, but it's not all the time. It's, it's not what people expect. So, you know, getting these names so willy-nilly is, is an easy understanding of what you could possibly be dealing with because, in the fact, a, a victim, like as you said, because it's not necessarily wrong because at that point um, they've lost hope. So in a way they have become victimized. Um, you know, they lost hope in themselves. So uh, the victim or the person, the the, the demonia, uh, I don't even know if I pronounce that right. I kind of like it though, demonia. I use, I'll use that. I like that. Yeah. There's a similar term that explains, um, but um, the person that is under influence and um, is controlled, there is that truth that that victim can't say the name because then, like once again, you're giving. Um, ability for it to be repelled. And that's why in a lot of cases in, in the right of exorcism, as you probably have experienced, you know, what it, you know, some it has actually changed. That's so let me actually be clear on that. The nineteen nine pre nineteen ninety nine version tended to ask for a name, but the more the now version that is used by the Roman Catholic Church and most old Catholic churches um, has kind of gotten away from that. And because um, there has been, in fact, uh, documentation where, where the right and, of course, the exorcist, uh, actually not, not so the exorcist, but the right, which is a true documentation as well of a true story, is that, of course, most people don't understand that when an exorcist is doing an exorcism, um, that ability for that entity that is within the individual has the ability to jump into the priest doing the exorcism. And usually, sometimes that is why there's a, a fellow priest or a fellow clergy member there as well, just in case they need to uh, enact the right on to that person. Mm-hmm. So so there's so many things that get involved within uh, asking for the name. But, like, uh, you know, if, if you want to understand why that is a method is, you know, Shan Shao, the art of war, um, that a lot of those ideologies bleed from that. So... Uh, very provocative book. Yeah. Now, uh, Ouija boards. Let's bring those up. I know Kyle. <laughs> I know Kyle has his experience with that. <laughs> but uh, you know, one of the, yeah, one of the the thing is that oh, that's is that when you're talking on a Ouija board, it invites demons in. It's what's your thoughts on that, guys? Mm. Well, you don't have one there with you, do you? I do. I'm actually playing it while I'm doing this. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might, you might get it keeps coming up, Zuzu. I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am not at all bothered by Ouija boards. Now, this may cost me my demonologist badge. But they, they, just, they are a game. They are, of course, they can be potentially hazardous to somebody. If somebody get, becomes obsessed to the point where they're actually asking questions of the Ouija board or relying on those answers for guidance, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I just happen to contend that uh, most, if not all, of the Ouija board phenomena proceeds from the human mind. Yeah, and I do I can, response. Yeah. yeah, automatic response. Now, 
If you, I, I give five points for this, if I can remember them. Yeah. Say, and, and it pertains particularly to uh, Ouija board, but uh, divination in general. Uh, one, either these are premises; it, it has to be one of these. <clears throat> one, either you're getting what you what you're going for, you genuinely have a spirit that's communicating through that board, or two, it is impulses from the users, the players' fingers, you know, like pushing it around involuntarily, don't even know something from the mind. Three, your partner is contriving, you know, your partner's just pushing it around to make it exciting. Uh, four, it could be minute but effective poltergeist activity. It's not, you know, poltergeists don't necessarily just throw around furniture and play dinner plates. <laughs> uh, maybe the poltergeist is moving that planchette through your fingers. Mm-hmm. Four, You've got something you didn't bargain for. It's demonic. It's inhuman. Close the session. Open the windows. You know, get rid of the Ouija board. But it has to be one of those five. I personally go with that. I think in most, and I'm leaning towards all cases, the mind is producing that. And you could argue, somebody, the player could argue, well, how did that Ouija board know? How did it know a secret I held? Because you had that in your mind. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd love to hear back from people. You might have a contention that, you know, maybe neither user of the Ouija board knew something, mm-hmm. or maybe it was transmitted psychically. Maybe they absorbed it. That's, that's a, a viable principle. Yeah, yeah. I just don't bother. They don't bother me. They're, uh, they're right. tools. It's just that, you know, with the advent of the movie, the novel and the movie The Exorcist, they have a bad reputation. And right. Well, I, I remember sometimes seeing... Sometimes they're a little tricky, yes. I remember seeing this TV show with uh, Keith and you and your sister oh, on it. Yes. It seems uh, a little Uh-oh. scary for some people. Uh-oh. Uh, yes, modesty prevented me from bringing that up. <laughs> no, actually, I was very happy with that episode of, uh, you know, I've been on a number of those TV shows, but this one actually told my story of, you know, how I became involved with paranormal interest. Uh, and it is uh, on a haunting, and it's called Dangerous Games. The name of the episode is Dangerous Games, and it talks about three mischievous teenagers starting to play with the Ouija board. It's called Dangerous Games. And I'd say it was about 80% accurate. You know, not every experience in the, with the haunting in my parents' home was pleasurable. You know, it was, some of it was downright scary. Some of the conversations are, are actually spot on, what we said. Unfortunately, and, Kyle, that was the doorbell. It means Beelzebub is at the door, and we've got to go. Uh, I, I heard that, but I'm glad we closed on that note. <laughs> uh, anyways, if, if people want to find out about, more about you guys, how can they do that? Well, we have a new website. It's in development, but it grows about every day. It's uh, You can reach it through www.demonology.org. Now, demonology is spelled the standard way, like uh, O-L-Y, L-O-G-L-Y at the end. You know, it's not the, the 16th century, uh, 17th century spelling. It's demonology. You know, we have the, we have the domain of that, you know, so it's .org. So it's in www.demonology.org. That's a, that's a good way. Or our Facebook pages. We're on the ubiquitous Facebook. Duo Demonology has this page on Facebook, as does Panorama Paranormal with Elise Giamarco Carlson, you know, who's affiliated with Duo Demonology. Mm-hmm. So she's the founder of uh, Panorama Paranormal. You look up Elise Giamarco Carlson, look up James and Nito, uh, Carl Johnson, look up Duo Demonology, the Carl Johnson fan page. If you look for us on Facebook, eventually you'll find us. You get the key that fits. 
Sure. And you can uh, hey, we'll post basic. We'll post one of them up on our, our page anyways for sure. Uh, so I want to thank you guys for uh, joining us and um, it's gone by so quickly, Ron. This has been fun. Thank oh, you. Thank you. I have to admit one thing, James. Uh, in our church, you know, our priest, we have a priest from Ireland, and uh, he always uh, ends a lot of the masses with uh, the St. Michael's Prayer, which yeah. I know fluently, but for some reason my wife didn't. So she had your business card, and there was the prayer, so she copied it from your business card. So there you go. Ah, well, we got to go. <laughs> Got the tunes playing. All right. So thank ah. you once again, and uh, we'll see you Good next time, everyone. Take care. Good night, and God bless. Thank, thank you, guys. Fun. Good night. Have us back. Bye-bye. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.